You've tuned in to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, January 11th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We are joined today, as usual, by Pete Sampson from The Athletic. And when we convened a week ago, guys, we didn't know that we would have quite this much to talk about, but a lot has happened. Marcus Freeman has been hired as defensive coordinator from Cincinnati to replace Clark Lee, Terry Joseph. Nordame's safeties coach is off to Texas. Nordame has a new quarterback and Jack Cohn, the grad transfer from Wisconsin. Several players have entered the transfer portal, but probably the one that we need to talk about the most, uh, and we'll do that after we talk about Marcus Freeman, is Tommy Tremble's decision to uh, go ahead and enter the NFL draft. But Marcus Freeman, Nordame's number one choice. Everybody's number one choice pretty much. Uh, and he is Nordame's new defensive coordinator. What do you I think, would. Tim? Net gain of Marcus Freeman or one of my favorites, Tommy Tremble. You want Marcus Freeman for your program. So Notre Dame won the week. It's a, uh, they won the week. They won the weekend. They're winning the off season. And I, I, there's very few people you're going to talk to. And we haven't talked to any that don't think Marcus Freeman is an absolute home run hire. And when people say he's a two year rental, as Pete, Tim and I talked about in the past, that's the max for getting somebody that good as a two year rental, because hopefully he's a, two-year rental. He's that good of a coach and he moves on to greener pastures as a head coach elsewhere because of the job he does at Notre Dame. Yeah, that's, I think that's the ideal situation for, for Notre Dame. Like Brian Kelly should be prepared to replace Marcus Freeman um, and find his next defensive coordinator. Cause if that happens, then things went really, really well. It's uh, I was talking to Justin Williams who covers Cincinnati for the athletic. And we sort of had him on a guest on another podcast. And just like at the end, I was like, so tell, like, tell me how this doesn't work. And he's just like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. there's just no way, uh, you know, for how much we are trying to be cautious with like, you know, coaching hires, chemistry. Do we really know? Not really. This one, I feel like we know, like this is going to work. Um, they went from one of the best defense coordinators in college football to one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. So that's, that's a huge win for the off season. And I, you know, Tim, you wrote this and I wrote this, like the statement of intent from Notre Dame is incredible. Um, it's, it's more than just hiring a defensive coordinator. It's figuring out how to, you know, play in the sandbox with the Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama. I mean, they, they beat an sec powerhouse head to head that has infinite resources uh, to burn in this kind of a hire. And they got them. And I, I realized like, if Marcus Freeman was from Georgia, they probably wouldn't have, uh, but he's from Ohio and he wanted to stay in the Midwest family want to stay in the Midwest. So that Notre Dame had that advantage going for it, but it made that work. Like they closed the sale. I mean, it's um, probably Brian Kelly's best recruitment that he's had in 11 years here. The way I wrote it, Pete, and I, I saw what you wrote as well is that they, even after, or in the, still in the midst of a pandemic, they, figured out that they could afford Marcus Freeman. And they also figured that they couldn't afford not to get Marcus Freeman. If you wanted to yeah. continue to, you know, compete with the level that you've been competing with the last uh, couple of years. I know a lot of Notre Dame fans think that the sky has fallen and they haven't accomplished anything, but they have been in the playoffs to the last three years. And in order to bridge the gap, as you move into a transition year, you needed a great coach. And I agree. They got an absolutely great coach. Uh, I spoke with Mike Denbrock every time Brian Kelly pilfers a coach from, from the Cincinnati staff. I, I call our old friend, Mike Denbrock. And, and uh, 
you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's hyperbole when he says the things that he says about Marcus Freeman. This is a great fit. He knew it was a great fit when he was recruiting him for Tyrone Willingham back in the early 2000s. Uh, the comment that he made to me was, you know, sometimes you lose a guy and you say, eh, you know, maybe it wasn't the right fit. But when Marcus Freeman didn't come to Notre Dame to play linebacker, he was like, that dude belongs at Notre Dame. So if he belonged to Notre Dame as a player, he's certainly still, I mean, I think he's, he's proven that he's, he belongs to Notre Dame as a coach in a lot of ways, um, in a lot of ways, on the field, off the field. We don't know everything there is to know about him, of course. Um, but it certainly looks like th this is a man that's lived a life that is in accordance with the kind kind of football player and football coach that Notre Dame would hire. On top of all that, I'm glad you mentioned Dembrock because from your story, quoting Mike Dembrock, the system is multiple enough to make sure that the best players are going to be out there playing and it doesn't have to pigeonhole you into we are three down or we are four down. It could be multiple and simple at the same time. That's great <laughs> because Notre Dame, as currently constructed, has to be four down. There have so many defensive tackles and nose tackles that he can build around that and he can switch from four down to three down as needed. But you, you can't have six contributing returning interior players from a playoff team and not use them that way. So I love the fact that he can come look at his talent and say, all right, maybe one or two guys move, but I still have this depth of rotation inside. Yeah. I think the, like the multiple city is a big thing for me too. Cause it's like, he's played in the American athletic conference for the last four years or coached in that conference. You run into Navy, you run into yeah. UCF. Um, He's figured out how to beat option teams. Um, and last year against UCF, he rolled out a 3-3-5 as a surprise formation. You know, look, similar. Clark Lee did some things similar. Um, but after they beat UCF, he just stuck with it because it was so effective. Um, so he can beat you different ways. And that is, that is just so important at Notre Dame when you play Navy and then you play the air raid at USC, you play the athletes at Clemson, you play the power football of Georgia, Michigan state style. Um, you got to be able to do it in a bunch of different ways. Uh, Clark Lee did. And Marcus Freeman has too. I think that I, to your point, Pete, I think that's a trend moving forward with defensive coordinators. I mean, you can't be pigeonholed into one style because offenses aren't yeah. one style. And Denbrock said to me, you know, when when he came in four years ago and Denbrock came in at the same time, um, you know, it was four down linemen. And it and that was basically what they ran all the time. And that has changed. And I think we see examples. You, I mean, watch them play. Just watch Cincinnati play defensively. You see a variety of, of different defensive fronts. Um, Denbrock talked about how the, the – the multiplicity is up front and because you're so multiple up front, you better be stable on the back end. So they don't do a ton of different things on the back end per se, but you know, I don't want to, we've got a ton of questions in segment two and we can get into more of this stuff, but uh, I think we would all agree that this was, this was a heck of a hire by Notre Dame. And we, there were some doubts as to whether you can get him because number one is Notre Dame going to pony up the money. And number two, is Brian Kelly going to think outside the box and not just grab Mike Elston to be the defensive coordinator, which probably would have worked too. But this is the hottest name and one of the most uh, multifaceted defenses in the country coached by, by Marcus Freeman. And um, now, he gets, now he gets to inherit um, <laughs> across the board more talent than what he was dealing with at Cincinnati. You know, before getting into the 
players, you know how we talked about like the concept of would Notre Dame be better off going to a New Year's six bowl and winning? Cause it like gives you the off season bump and you feel good. Like they sort of got that from the citrus bowl, less so from the camping world bowl. Like to me, this is, has the impact on your off season. Like you won your bowl game. Um, I think it makes everything around Notre Dame football upbeat moving forward because you had such this huge win in the hiring process. Um, you know, this was always going to be a, an interesting team anyway with the roster turnover, but to have the guy everybody wanted feels to me like it's going to color your offseason the same as if you won a major bowl game. Well, one, one week ago today, we were talking about the Alabama loss and the loss of Clark Lee. So here we are right. seven days later. Yeah, it's a good point. We're, we're talking about, and, and Dan Brock used the phrase home run higher, and yeah, it's overused, but he said it, and I quoted him, and I agree with it. Let's talk before we talk about. It, I want to talk about Tommy Trumbull, but Terry Joseph took the uh, took a job with Texas, um, presumably an upgrade in pay. I'm not sure that. I mean, I thought I thought Terry Joseph did. When you consider the Notre Dame was in the top five in the country in 2018, 2019 in terms of yards per pass attempt, I think that is a strong reflection upon the safeties and the play of Gilman and Elliott, but. He's on to Texas now, um, and until we hear something otherwise, which I don't know, maybe you have Pete or Tim, uh, Kerry Cooks is a, is a possibility to fill that spot, who is already at Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have heard the same on Cooks. Um, to your point on Denbrock and, like, you know, sometimes somebody leaves and you're like, well, okay. Joseph is probably better than, well, okay, but I don't think if you ranked the coaches on Notre Dame staff of the impact, if they left, how significant it would be, I'd say probably be in the middle. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. No, I'd agree. Uh, yeah. Especially the addition of Mickens, you might even really maybe hammers yeah. home your point that you, 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 say- you don't want to lose Mike Mickens who Brian Kelly loves and how he's taught and the, and the, um, now the synergy with Mickens and Freeman. Yeah. So I think that's a good point. Yeah. I would agree somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah, of, I mean, he did a group. really good job in 18 and 19 and helped. He was the passing game yeah, coordinator for a defense that was really good until it didn't have any pieces to be really right. good. I mean, I, I find it yeah. hard when, when, when people underestimate that. I, fi- I find yeah, that h- difficult for me to agree with. But having said that, I think that they can compensate on the back end there. Mike Elston, it, go ahead, Tim. I just want to be fair to like, I, I, I think Pete's absolutely right. It's around the middle. But to be fair to, Mark, to Terry Joseph and the job he did for two years, if you had Marcus Freeman or Clark Lee as just your passing game coordinator and you were trying to play passing game coordinator against Alabama and Clemson with Tariq Bracey, a freshman, and Nick <laughs> McLeod and one safety, they wouldn't look like good passing game coordinators either. Well, so no, it's, there's it, no it's just the way it rolls out. But, I mean, I mean, when there's a stat that you're in the top five in yards per completion, who is responsible for that the most? Yeah. The pa- pass rush always comes into play. But the sure, back end sure. of your defense, yeah. they're not gashing you back there. You're right. 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 Yes. No, he did. He had two great years and then one year where they went to playoffs and it was obviously a weakness. We, we both heard uh, Mike Elston, if he didn't get the coordinator's job at Notre Dame, that the Purdue job was there for him. Uh, Pete, I think you were probably you were the first one to say that to me, but I had heard that also. Whether that comes to fruition or not, maybe up to Mike Elston more than somebody offering him, because it sounds like Purdue. Uh, was strongly interested in that in him yeah, yeah I think that, that would be I would just say like on the 
Mike Elston losing Mike Elston would be yes. more significant than Terry Certainly. Joseph. Certainly. Um, Definitely. No doubt about it. That would, that would be a loss for what Notre Dame likes to run. I would, I would think that Mike Elston could work with Marcus Freeman. I don't have any reason to believe that they couldn't. Um, he worked with Brian Van Gorder. He could probably yeah, find a way to so work with I a really would, good coordinator. I would think that that would be okay. And then they could roll with that. It just, it's more a matter, I think, of whether Elston wants to, right. to be still right. doing this. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, Elston, very comfortable in his skin, very comfortable yeah. in his position at Notre Dame by and large through all that's happened. But if he has an opportunity to become a defensive coordinator, you know, I mean, you can say, Oh, Purdue, Purdue's in big 10. All right. And Purdue's somewhat on the rise with Jeff Brom as the coach. So you could understand why he would take advantage of, of that opportunity. Jack Cohn um, was somebody that I believe Tom Loy first mentioned, or maybe it was brought up and Tom Loy had said that he thought that was a possibility. Um, I did a film review that I would encourage if you're a subscriber and haven't seen that and not a subscriber subscribe so you can see that because I think I really, I, I think that, you know, some film reviews of guys, sometimes I feel better about them than others. I thought that the one that I did on that was pretty accurate as to what Notre Dame is getting. Why don't you guys think that say what you think they're getting and now, and then I'll express my thoughts. I mean, a, a good but not great quarterback. Um, you know, I talked to somebody around at Notre Dame about it and they, they told me like probably middle of last season, they knew that they were going to have to go down this route with somebody. Um, and then it was a matter of who, and then the decision that the, who was going to be Jack Cohn was about three weeks ago. Now, um, two weeks before he committed. And the way it was described to me is like, let's, if we can get out of Jack Cohn what we got out of Ben Skoranek, we'll be happy. Um, you will note that Ben Skoranek was not up for the Bolitnikoff Award, um, but he gave Notre Dame a lot of stability, was a no-nonsense player, good leader, easy to coach, and productive sometimes, not all the time. I think that, that if Jack Cohn gives you that, you would feel pretty good if you're Notre Dame. I think Jack Cohn gives you peace of mind absolutely necessary yeah. peace of mind going in the off season because with, even if Brendan Clark wasn't hurt, you would need more peace of mind than you were going to have in Notre sure. Dame's quarterback room. So now that he's hurt, you're in a numbers game. Also peace of mind with Jack Cohn is an accurate passer that will go down to Tallahassee and not lose the game for Notre Dame because the moment's too big. I mean, I don't care if Tyler Buckner ends up being the best quarterback in the country in three years, that moment after he hasn't played since his junior year in high school would be out of this world for him. That is just, it's, you needed a veteran to come in and a reliable, dependable guy that can help Notre Dame make it through most of its schedule. And now I'm going to leave this end of that for our, the back part of our discussion here, Tim, we talked about how it might be better if Tyler Buckner eventually takes over for Cone, if you're, if you're still contending, if he's yeah. capable of doing something like that. Yeah. Let me get to that secondarily. Uh, you know, I don't think I don't think Cone is a true 69.6% passer like he was his junior year, but numbers are numbers. I mean, he throws a lot. He threw a lot of underneath stuff at Wisconsin and that contributed to it. And we saw Ian book miss a lot of underneath stuff. So from that perspective, it, you know, I mean, it's still 69.7%. I think he's tough. You know, he, he'll, he'll hang in the pocket. He'll take a hit. 
you would think because he hangs in the pocket that he would take more sacks, but he actually had less last year than Ian Book had this year, which I found to be uh, interesting. Throws a very catchable ball, a lot of tight spirals. As I said in my review, he's not the kind of guy that is going to prompt the play-by-play guy to say he, he you know, rifled that ball into a small window. I don't think that that's necessarily who he is. Um, he doesn't have a real big arm, but, you know, he can, he can run a little bit. He's not going to be in book as a runner, but when he takes off, you know, he's six foot three and that's a, that's another huge advantage. He has size. He can see the field. Uh, he, he scours the field very well. There's a video out there of urban Meyer reviewing his film and it's only like four plays and he kind of raved about him and, you know, talked about him looking to one side, looking off the safety and going to the other. I mean, I, I certainly respect anything that Urban Meyer says. I thought it was, you know, it was just a snapshot to, to, to end up having such a big evaluation of Jack Cohn. But um, c- certainly you have to respect that. I don't think that he's going to throw, you know, a ton, I, I don't know that he's got a real deep arm per se. Hopefully he's a little bit more likely to let it go than Ian Book was. But, you know, I don't know. A lot of people are looking for a significant upgrade. I don't know how you guys look at it. I think it's somewhat comparable um, in, in different ways, but in terms of just overall productivity, comparable to what an Ian book gave you. If you were looking for a significant upgrade, I'm, I regret to inform you that that player went pro. Yes. Yeah, that, that is, that is most likely true. And that's, that was what I kind of had to reconcile. And I was like, did you need to get your graduate transfer quarterback from Wisconsin on January 6th? Maybe you did. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe you did. That, that's how you got to look at it as well. But um, Tim, two thoughts on Urban Meyer. He did predict Notre Dame to go to the playoff this year back in August. And better be careful. He doesn't listen to this because the last time a writer crossed Urban Meyer, it was <laughs> Dean Huppert and he screamed him down after the game. So if Urban Meyer is listening to your uh, review of his review, you're in trouble. Um, I think I have a different relationship with Urban Meyer <laughs> yes. than Dean Huppert did. <laughs> Just so. don't question him. You never. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not overly concerned about that. And uh, I actually, well, he's he's probably vying for an NFL job, but I actually hope to speak to him uh, here coming up. But uh, still, anyway, still the best. Still the best Urban Meyer story. No, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. Uh, Tommy Tremble. Let's conclude with that. Notre Dame also lost Houston Griffith, Jafar Armstrong, Isaiah Rutherford, Ovia. Gofu, Jack Lamb, Jameer Smith, Colin Grunhardt's going to Kansas. Damian Franklin and Kofi Wardlow had already lost, left the program. Well, let's talk about Tommy Tremble. Um, you guys go first. I'm, how would I put this? I'm surprised that he made this decision, but not surprised that he made this decision. Um, I think just he really would have benefited from coming back in a draft stock kind of way from coming back, showing that he can be a guy that can make 50 catches work, you know, fine tune his hands. Um, you know, his blocking is already there. So I thought that's sort of how I looked at it. But then when he went pro Dane Brugler, who does like some draft stuff for us at the athletic was like, I love this guy. Um, you know, I, I see him as like a day two pick and I was like, all right, well, I mean, there's people that know way more than me about this stuff. Cause I just sort of looked at Tommy Tremble as like, he's a one kind of a one dimensional tight end. 
Um, I mean, that one dimension is kind of fun to watch, but if you're a flex tight end without great hands, that seems a little limiting. And that seemed like one of those things, like if you're a basketball player who needs to improve his three point shot, come back to school, jack up a, a thousand threes every day in the summer and then boom, you're good. But um, I was kind of, I guess it, I was surprised, but not surprised that he left. Yeah. We'd heard he was going to leave along. Obviously that was before the season. All of us heard that, but then I heard he got a great, a good grade in December and that <laughs> He was leaving and he felt he had to leave. And, and the differentiator is kind of what you were talking about, Pete, is it's a, it, it may be one dimensional right now, but they feel like that second dimension will come and you can't teach the dimension he has to other tight ends that, that don't block with such ferocity and, and are never going to be capable of it. Now, does that mean he's better than Kyle Pitts or Jimmy Graham, the impact on the game Jimmy Graham used to have when he couldn't block a soul? No, of course not. But I guess I don't blame him. Um, I, I think the big takeaway is he changes the offense by not coming back because they were going to be another 12 package look for sure with their two best skill position. Well, three best skill position players, two of them being tight ends. And now it's not now it's now they're going back. I think they have to go back. And I wrote about it today to that traditional spread three receiver, one running back and tight end. Look, you, you're going to mix in Kevin Bauman and George Takis is your number two tight end. You're going to mix in two running backs, but this is very important now that the young receivers and the old receivers that haven't done anything, they're old now, seniors, that <laughs> uh, they developed this offseason because last year it was clear to us, at least, Athletic Irish Illustrated, it was clear to us in June, this is what's happening. It's a two tight end package. Are you kidding? They have three tight ends. Why are you guys talking about slot receivers? Now they kind of got to start talking about all the receivers again. Yeah, well, you know, and we talk about Tommy Trimble, but we're not mentioning Brock Wright, and he's gone as well. Yeah, so there's, just... I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> there are two of your three blockers at, at, at tight end. Tommy Tremble wants to be a professional football player now. In June and May and April, he wanted to be a professional football player by the next January. Had he caught 39 passes, he would have left because he had enough body of work to leave. He caught 19 passes and he left anyway because he wants to be a pro. We knew he wanted to be a pro. We talked yeah. about it. I mean, I know the, yeah, the pandemic bro. months all blend together, but I know that we were talking about that. <laughs> we did. Yes. During the summer that Tommy Tremble may leave. And everybody said, what? well, why would he leave? What? Where's he going to go? That's a, that's a common. He's going to go to the joke, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Carl but, Scott, are we, are we at war? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he wants to be a pro. And now he has an opportunity to be the pro. And Pete, I agree. It, it probably hurts where he's drafted. But if he's good enough to be a professional, he'll be on a roster yeah. next year. It may Maybe be a tougher was... route as a lower draft pick, but still, if you're good, you're good, and they'll they'll sign you. They'll keep yeah. you. I asked Cole Komet about this around the draft last year, just about like the decision to leave, and he's like, you know, a lot of guys, you know, Notre Dame is not the ultimate dream. It's to go pro. It's to make money playing football. It's to play in the right, NFL. Right, right, right. You know, like we're so much in the Notre Dame world that I think sometimes we overvalue like college football, that experience. And he's like, if you, if students, you have a chance to leave and it's a good decision, why wouldn't you go? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't have a good reason for you on that one. Like I, I get it. Um, I, it's just, it's, they, people have different perspectives on this than I think average well, fans. Or, yeah. Joe Schmidt, people. Joe Schmidt's dream was to be a Notre Dame football player. Yeah, and he knew that he wasn't going to be more than that. These guys have a little bit higher, higher target and higher ceiling. Let's come back for segment two: burning up the boards. 
Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Club Fred 90 Would you categorize Marcus Freeman as an aggressive play caller? If so, what gives you confidence that this will work better than our past experiences with aggressive defensive coordinators? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, if aggressive is playing a lot of press coverage, then yeah, I would, I would say that he's, he's pretty aggressive, but I would not say that he's aggressive in the, he's going to blitz all the time, nonstop. That's his reputation. And don't you think that's getting weeded out a little bit? When you're facing the modern offenses, the blitz all the time. I mean, you yeah. just he blitz eighty percent of the time. It's a touchdown. The twenty percent of the time, he did. You know, but um, yeah, I, I feel like the multiple fronts and and the way they attack an offense is aggressive. I don't think it has anything to do with. I don't think aggressive defense always has to do with totally dialing it up. I mean, I know Brent Venables is great at it. Is absolutely great at dialing up that pressure. But it kind of goes to my point that when you it's you you know you're great at it when you're facing a quarterback that can't handle it. And then you face Justin Fields and he scored 60. Yeah. He was aggressive. Great. Let me read from a Denbrock response. He's very aggressive with the way he calls defenses, even in scrimmages. His defensive scheme and philosophy is to contest the hell out of everything. Nothing is going to come easy against him. He's going to make you earn everything that you get. But in a different part of our conversation, he talked about how where they're really multiple is the front seven. It's it's a lot more static on the back end with with the secondary. And so, no, this isn't. It's not going to be Brian Van Gorder. It's not going to be John Tenuta, where it's just aggression for the sake of aggression. I mean, I think I, I would agree that I think that this game and defensive yeah. play has advanced, where it's not where you protect, where you're in a position where you can protect yourself a little bit more on the back end than just you know going for. It. But he he will send people from every spot on the defense there's no doubt about that when you're playing a quarterback that doesn't handle it well which is 80 percent of the quarterbacks right in college football sometimes when in doubt send a little bit that's what it comes down to but it's when a guy can check out of it and kill you for 35 yards because you're blitzed that's that's the issue normally if you're playing pittsburgh's quarterback i forget the guy's name that kept walking to the sideline i just keep sending people i mean this is fine that's the time to be aggressive well, I, Joey Yellen, just so you don't yes, forget it, because you Joey may Yellen. never see, you'll never see him well, again. I was going to call him Kenny Pickett, but I knew it wasn't him. <laughs> Day Sport V, if Jack Cohn is a starter, your thoughts on the staff having a package of plays for Tyler Buckner to get him experience as a true freshman and prep him to take over in 2022? Be ready for that question throughout the 2021 <laughs> season. I mean, how's the season going? Is Notre Dame undefeated? Then I don't need to see Tyler Buckner. I was yeah. If Notre Dame's not really a, a playoff contender, which I, I mean, I don't think they're, they'll, maybe they'll contend next year, but I don't sort of see them as a, a eleven. You're on an eleven zero contender. Eleven now. Um, then then yeah, I mean, you could work them in a little bit, but to me, this is like this is sort of a media fan creation kind of question. Like I get it, um, and I look. I coached fourth grade cross country for two weeks one time. And I can tell you as a coach um, that you're not putting in the next guy to build for next year until, uh, you know, you don't have a respect for the season you're playing right now. But like, 
I just don't, I don't think Brian Kelly would ever see it that way. Like I need to play Tyler Buckner real minutes now in a game that's in doubt because of what might happen in 2022. I mean, I think he sees it that way. If every day in practice, you're like, man, Tyler Buckner's catching Jack Cohn. Like if yeah. it's one of those things where you're cool. really going into, yeah, then it, then it's, then you want to get you. Then I start thinking, well, can we get better with Tyler Buckner? Can now that we're three and O, but you know, we, we, we are missing the vertical threat to our offense. Can we get better with Tyler? You look into those things too. Yeah, but made the change from Wimbush to book when they were undefeated. Right. That's up to Tyler Buckner though, more than Brian yeah. Kelly, even I think it's just, if Tyler Buckner starts coming and I'm talking about Tyler Buckner, like he's Notre Dame's next really good starting quarterback. Yeah. I know we're assuming things. We can't always assume that, but, but that's for the like, fun of it. Let's assume it. You're <laughs> saying like he gets them. The answer to this question is, is yes if Tyler Buckner can help you in 2021, like forget right. 2022. Can Tyler right. Buckner help you now? If so, yes. But that shouldn't have anything to do with 2022. Agreed. Right. This is, this is talking about having a two-quarterback system, a planned two-quarterback system going the next year. And I agree with you guys. Uh, ultimately, Tyler Buckner is the one that needs to decide that for Brian Kelly. Wash ND, do Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese need a paradigm shift on offense to go from trying to out physical teams and keep the chains moving to emphasizing explosive plays with more aggressive play calling. And Tim, you started to address it by just talking about the variance in personnel moving forward. If Tommy Tremble and Aaron Banks and Robert Hainsey chose to come back, Notre Dame would not do a paradigm shift on offense because it would be the dumbest thing you could possibly do when the strength is your offensive line, your running back and your tight end with a bunch of unproven wide receivers, but I do think they have a paradigm shift now because they lost Aaron Banks and Robert Hainsey and Liam Eikenberg and Tommy Tremble. And the reason they ran all of that, and Tim, you make a good point, Brock Wright. I mean, he would have been your best blocking tight end next year still, unless Mayor, I mean, Mayor can make that leap, but you lost the guys that gave you that look on offense. And now it's time to make a shift. You just really have a lot of work to do with young receivers and unproven older receivers. I think that the strengths, Tommy Reese will play to Notre Dame strengths. Next year's strengths, if they go like we think they're going to go, are going to be a lot different than this year's strengths. Um, the offensive line isn't nearly going to be as good. They're not going to lean on them to beat people up through four quarters and, and sort of win the game that way. Um, the receivers, hopefully, will be a lot better, uh, whether that's Lindsey, Austin, Keys, Johnson, Watts, uh, Lorenzo Styles, uh, anybody. Um, they should be more explosive at those positions. And, but I guess I, I don't know how you guys feel about it. Like, I'm not conceding that the tight ends are going to have this huge drop-off next year um, without Tremble and Wright. I, I think the staff is incredibly high on Bauman. And, like, Takis is sort of a reliable guy as a, as a second tight end. We'll, we'll see. It's just like, to me, the offensive line is going to take a big step back. Uh, and then with that, you cannot play a – a ball control offense because you don't have the line to do it. No, I, you know, I, real quick, Tim, and then you ask the next one. I think Tack is going to be fine as a, as a receiving mm-hmm. tight end, you know, and, and, and Bauman, uh, 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 we hear the same things that Bauman, you know, is somebody that Notre Dame likes too, but you lose your two best blockers. Mayor really, I guess is, is certainly was in a lot of respects as adept as Brock Wright was as a, as a blocker. So, so thus the shift. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. There's a long time to discuss the uh, – I like those tight ends too. I just think there's other players on the team now. 
I see gold. I would like lost it right away. I see gold. I would like to hear your take on if the Freeman hiring is a signal of intent of greater involvement in the pursuit of the summit of college football or just helping Brian Kelly with a couple extra dollars to make it happen. Long way of asking how hot the fire burns at the booster level to do what's necessary to have a championship football team. You know, I don't know that I can speak to boosters, although the positions seem to be filling up with sponsors so they can have their names said before Marcus Freeman's name is said, or even Brian Kelly's. Um, but no, clearly, I mean, they stepped up to the plate. And, and as I said, they, they Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick, the decision makers, I don't know exactly how the boosters fit into that, but they made a decision that Notre Dame could not afford to move forward without upping the ante for a guy like Marcus Freeman. And I think Marcus Freeman himself, not only the coordinator, but the person, I think, you know, I think they found him to be the perfect fit, as I said, as a player and as a coach as well. But uh, will Notre Dame make this decision every time and match or try to come close to equaling the LSUs of the world? I don't know. I don't know exactly how right. close they came to trying to match LSU's offer, but I think this clearly is a signal and a step that, okay, we've got to compete at a higher level behind the scenes um, when yeah. it comes to hiring coaches. I, that's well said. That, that's exactly how to look at it. And Pete made a good point. It's a, Going into the offseason, it is the biggest win you could have in January for, for a football team that won't reconvene until late February. Amos Irish 03. Freeman's hiring seemed to go public and announced by the university almost instantly. Why was this different? It They may have just started the process before they actually interviewed him, which, you know, why can't you do that? You know that you know this guy's a good fit. Why can't you start the process ahead of time? Maybe that some logic's been employed, and they do that now. Right. <laughs> Because right. it takes forever if it doesn't happen. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in the past. I get why. I mean, they were burned in 2001 or whatever. But well, it's like, not like it's not all like right, the, it's oh, that's over, man. <laughs> let's let's it's not like, hire somebody. It's not like the people that are doing the background check are, are preparing X's and O's for the old <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, they might <laughs> so insert insert said, joke here, right? I mean, yeah, just, <laughs> I, I think I think. Yeah, I think they were probably more proactive in doing that. And I think that Marcus Freeman allowed them to be a little bit more proactive. And, you know, like, again, I don't know the guy. I don't know everything about him. But, you know, husband, father of six, pretty pretty grounded human being. Uh, I think that, that certainly helped. SR5452, two questions here back to back. One from him, how much or her, how much do you think the defense will change under Freeman, will they keep the rover position, or will it be a more traditional 4-3? What do you guys like most about his defensive style and concerns? And then a question from C. Farah, is there any new vernacular for defensive positions we need to familiarize ourselves with in Freeman's scheme? Are we still talking rovers, vipers, and bucks? I think every new scheme is going to bring some vernacular to get used to. Uh, Tim, you mentioned it might be more traditional jack for the viper position, which is a uh, in previous things has been cat drop, you know, it, it's, it, that's a drop. That's a defensive end that can drop into coverage and play outside linebacker. Right. Right. Um, and you mentioned strong side, um, strong side linebacker might just it, go to Sam again or something yeah, along those lines. The, where, the, maybe the equivalent of Rover terminology wise, not necessarily scheme right. wise becomes your Sam as your outside linebacker. I don't know. We don't know that yet. He ran out of a three, three, five. 
Um, I mean, if you look at how, how they named their positions, it was, it was defensive end, nose tackle, defensive tackle, Jack. So that would make sense that that stand-up guy, that Jack is the somewhat, I did quote marks there. Nobody can see that. Yes. Somewhat. <laughs> uh, the somewhat Viper-like position, but yeah. we'll find out. We, I, I, we don't know that for sure, but there are going to be some, some alterations, certainly uh, in terminology, there always is. I think the most important part of this question is, is that will they keep the rover position? I don't see a rover on the roster, and that's because I just watched Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa play for two years. So that's kind of how I'm spoiled by the rover. What linebacker? I mean, I think they could all be. There's a lot of guys that can play outside linebacker at Notre Dame. Do you see anybody running with Tutu Atwell in the slot? And yeah, I mean, running if Wusu uh, Koromoa has a hard time with it, everybody's yeah. going to have a hard time with it. But I mean, the, the basis of the original question here is this is going to be multiple. There will be a rover-type player right. for them, right. but he probably won't bear that, uh, that bear that name. And you know what? To put a finer point on it, if Alohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott were coming back at safety, Kyle Hamilton might be the rover player that's up front the entire time, but Notre Dame doesn't really have that that's luxury a, That's, a, right that's a good point. Uh, if you're not hearing Pete Sampson, he has had to exit. A little gathering here today, so it's Tim Tim the rest of the way. Denver Maximus, what can we expect to see different on the offensive side of the ball with Cone, the presumptive starter? Kyron Williams and Michael Mayer are back, but the offensive line will have new pieces and a very average, unproven wide receiver core. Got to hope that it's not average. It's going to be unproven until they do something, but we got to hope it's not average because I – Look, I like Kevin Bauman and George Takis. I probably overstepped by saying they have to change because their name, Pete made a good point. They like those tight ends too. It's just not the identifying differentiator of Notre Dame's football team anymore when you don't have Michael Mayer, Tommy Tremble, and Brock Wright, plus those two guys. I mean, it was just such a position of strength. If you're talking coach of the year for a position, whose position did better than John McNulty's? That's good From point. one to five. I mean, they were just, they got everything you could think they would get out of any of them. Um, I just don't think that's the case anymore. But Tim, what do you think? I mean, Williams and Mayer, the offensive line still has to be a very important part of Notre Dame's attack. They still have to be one of the better offensive lines, a physical offensive line. It's just not the group of bullies that they had wow. last year. Yeah, and Denver Maximus is calling the re- receiving core average. I, I mean, I, I, I thought I heard about, Jordan Johnson being a five-star and Xavier Watts being a four-star and they, they had to be on the field. Now it's their job and they've become average. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Denver Maximus, but they're going to have to play. They will have to play young at the wide receiver position. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, does that, does that, um, I mean, you hope to get, I was, <laughs> I was going to say Kevin Hart uh, uh, Kevin Austin. <laughs> um, he has the same number of catches, but yeah. You know, you hope to get Kevin Austin back. You'd like to get a fully functional Braden Lindsay. Avery Davis did yeah. some good things. Uh, Lawrence Keys will, you know, uh, does he still have a role? Jordan, uh, Joe Wilkins, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts. I think Jay Brunel can play on this level, uh, but he hasn't seen a second of, of, of action. Then you have Deion Colsey, Lorenzo Styles, and, and Jaden Thomas. So, yeah, it's going, young guys are going to have to play, but there are some older guys with playing experience. Because of Takis and Bauman being guys who think will be good, pretty good players, you need three of those guys plus Davis to blossom and develop in September, October. You don't need seven. It's not a perfect world. They're not all going to play next year and they're going to be throwing the ball for, you know, 
350 yards a game, but you need three of Austin, Lindsey, Johnson, Watts, Keys, Styles, Colsey, yes. and Brunel. And then you're going to get Davis. Davis is going to be involved. Yes. Avery Davis will be involved. Yeah. And you have, I mean, you have, again, you have an accurate quarterback who throws a very catchable ball, create a little space, and you have a chance to be a little bit better in the passing game than maybe it, it looks right at this moment. Quick hit here from Irish Gambler. Lots of Notre Dame players in the transfer portal. Would you guess there will be a net gain or loss in terms of overall talent? Mentioned you need a starting quarterback, corner, and safety. So if that happens, it's a net gain. Yeah, I think you got you have it's to a net game. we have yeah, to see lost. what they end up doing in the yeah. grad transfer market because you need you need at least one corner and maybe two. You need a yeah. safety. Yeah. And maybe you definitely two. need you you could you could take in is what you just said. You could take in one and two, one and two, or two at one of those positions. I just feel like if you can get a corner to start opposite Lewis, you can bring <laughs> along two of the young guys. And if you can get a safety to start opposite Hamilton, you can hope. <laughs> DJ Brown will be a fine fourth safety. He was fine fourth safety last year. Then maybe KJ Wallace, who missed this year with a lot of injury issues, is another one. But you need starters. You do need starters. Uh, I, you know, Mike Mickens and and Marcus Freeman, I've got to believe there's some good football still to be played by Tariq Bracey. He was trending in that direction. Then you're, you get caught in the middle of the season where he loses confidence, and then when, with loss of confidence, you lose technique. I mean, I still think that there's some good football to be played there for him. I would think if it, so. And, um, if it start, and if it starts, if that starts to come to fruition next year, you could have him for the year after, which right. would be in his his best interest. He never, you know, physically, he never should have played as a true freshman. Right. I mean, we, we knew that. So anyway, I, I, I'd like to think that Freeman coming into the equation with Mike Mickens, uh, there, and, with their, and besides that, there are a ton of young corners and safeties. Yeah, you just you just you figure two of those guys will work out and help you play really good top tier football next year, but the other ones are going to need time. Right. There are fifteen cornerback slash safeties that'll be on the roster next year as of right now. Thirteen of those guys will be here in the spring, including early into freshmen. That's huge. Philip Riley, Ryan Barnes, Justin Walters, JoJo Johnson. Kind of like the receivers, only a little bit more acute. They're going to have to play young next year, or they're going right, to have right. to try to get something out of those young guys. Our first segment went very long. Which one are you going to read, Tim? You're going to go to ND ninety four, Bill. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap with that. Our six, for first segment went long. We will uh, we promise that we'll be back very soon with the next podcast to uh, to answer all these uh, questions that will be coming forth. ND94, Bill, is this Mike Bray's last season at Notre Dame? Well. I tried to answer this last year, and I was wrong, so I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but you I, know, I heard it was going to be. I wrote, I wrote an editorial in December of 2019, and it really applies now. This, this program is absolutely headed in the wrong direction, and I think the most the, – the, the statement that I can make that I think is the most scathing – well, I could say a lot of things, but what I'm going to say is – the sum of the parts is not equal to the individual talent. Now, I'm not saying this is a ultra-talented basketball team, but there is experience and there's ability on this basketball team. And I know they're not, they're not, they're not getting blown out per se. Generally, they're beating teams on the road at halftime. 
and then they can't play in the second half because there's no commitment to defense. As soon as the opponent puts some pressure on them offensively, they're out of their game. Yeah. I, I just the, a fresh approach needs this this program needs a fresh approach, and they certainly don't have that now. I thought Jordan Cornett, former Notre Dame <laughs> player for Mike Bray, was all over it last night when he talked about the lack of physical and mental toughness. And Tim, we talked about this in football. I talked to an ex-coach and he said that kid's just not tough. I'm not going to say the name of the player, obviously. And I was like, what do you mean physically or mentally? He said, it's all just toughness. One, it it's all just toughness. Blends together. It, it, it ultimately blends together. Now, physical strength is different, of course, but yeah. they are not showing the toughness you need if for a nine-player, veteran, somewhat talented basketball team to be successful. Well, and I hate to see, I mean, I am so high on Paul Atkinson coming from Yale, the grad transfer next year. I hate to see that, you know, that that's going to go to waste, so to speak, um, if you don't maximize what you have. And they are not being maximized right now. In the second half of last season, they started to put together, but it was against poor, but it was against poor competition. I realized that the schedule in December you know, originally with all the COVID uh, cancellations and stuff, not as difficult, but you can't lose every one of those close games. The only one they pulled out was Kentucky, and that was after they blew a 22-point lead from the first half. He, Mike Bray, thought he had something that he doesn't have with his team because he scheduled all those teams. And and I I applaud him for wanting his players after sacrificing all summer and everything, getting here, and no COVID issues and staying in their their own bubble. Let's get them out there playing as much basketball as we can. Let's go for it. He thought he had more because he did not project the team would wilt like this and get worse as game number nine and 10 came along. And so there they are. Uh, oh, and four in conference play and three and seven overall. Hey, we'll be back next Monday. I'm sure. I don't know that if there'll be as much breaking news a week from today as there was today from last, from last Monday, but uh, can it be good if there is? <laughs> Well, it could, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, in, ter- in terms of potential grad transfers, right. what exactly is going to happen with the coaching staff, et cetera. But, you know, somebody asked about how many, uh, will there be others that could end up transferring and going into the portal? Just look at the roster. Look at guys that are older. Guys are less, in- guys are less, less patient now, uh, especially with NCAA about to make a decision about, as, as it pertains to allowing a, a free transfer where you're not penalized. Although they did delay the vote on that uh, a couple yeah. of days ago. So we'll see. But anyway, we'll be back next Monday. Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us.